Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm humbled and honored for the privilege to be able to to preach God's word to you guys today. Uh, But first, let me open this up in a word of prayer. Uh, Holy Father, God, you are so good for blessing us with your word. You are so good for showing us um, who you are through it for showing us how we can walk in obedience and joy. And God, we thank you that um, you, you give us this opportunity as a church to preach the word to each other, to proclaim the good news um, of Jesus Christ to one another. And God, I thank you and am humbled by the privilege to get to do that before Redeemer Church today. Father, I ask that uh, by, by your spirit, I pray that you would search each of our hearts. God, let, let what we each need to hear be spoken uh, today and, and let it be heard. God, let our ears be attuned to your whispers. And um, yeah, Father, I just, I just pray that I would do your word justice, that I would... Uh, Exalt your son above all else, because if I don't accomplish that, then this this sermon is pointless. So, Father, uh, yeah, God, just let your son be glorified today, uh, and be glorified through him. Uh, let your spirit uh, be working through this sermon. And I thank you, and I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so, the the sermon that I'm giving today is going to be on the passage in First John. It's first John 2, 28 to 3, 3. So if you guys wouldn't mind opening up to that, uh, now would be a great time. But as you're doing that, let me just provide some sort of uh, introduction and background on what the passage is about and where the sermon is going. So John talks about the fact he's dealing with the reality that Jesus' return is imminent. Um, Jesus is going to come back. And because of that, we're all going to stand before him in judgment. Uh, John says in his gospel, in uh, John 5, he says, The Father judges no one, but, the, but has given all judgment to, to the Son. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus is going to come back. We're all going to stand before him and be judged. And because of that, we all face one of two outcomes. We're going to be judged as good and righteous, or we're going to be judged as unrighteous and evil. And that's going to lead to either great shame at Jesus' return or confidence. And John writes, he writes this passage to us in the hopes that we would persevere and abide so that we wouldn't we wouldn't be shamed. That when Jesus returns we can stand before him in confidence. And uh, and so he does that by calling us to abide because Jesus shows us that his judgment will be determined by whether we're abiding or not in him. And so the whole point of this sermon is going to be a call to abide. That's what John is calling us to in this passage. But it's very interesting because after he calls us and exhorts us to abide, in the Son, he 
then goes on to a description of what it means to be a child of God. And it's very interesting that he does that because he's providing us the application and then he's telling us how to do that. And amazingly, that's not through our own efforts. It's not through doing any sort of works. It's through resting in the, the comfort and joy of knowing what it means to be a child of God. Um, John Stott, uh, in his book, The Cross of Christ, he talks about the gospel being salvific and revelatory. Now, those are pretty obscure words. You don't hear them used very often. But uh, for that basically means that God saves us through the gospel, and he also uses it to reveal himself to us. Um, it, the gospel is salvific in that it's a saving work, and it's revelatory in, in that it reveals him to us. And it also reveals our relationship with him to us. And I bring this up because John is showing us in this passage a perfect example of how the gospel is revelatory. He's showing us that it reveals who God is to us and that actually um, helps God continue his saving work through us. Um, or in us, I should say. And so, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to look at this passage and we're going to see nine different things, nine different points, nine different characteristics that are true of us if we are children of God. And so, we're going to take some time to look at each of those. Uh, now, it's each one you could give an entire sermon on, but I'm going to speak briefly on each of them. And the whole point is that uh, through recognizing what is true of us as the children of God because of Jesus Christ, uh, that our desire and our resolve to abide would be strengthened, that our, that our motivation and fuel for the fire of obedience to God's word in our life would come from, from these truths, these realities of us. And so, now let's look at the passage itself and pick out each of these blessed realities. Let me take a sip really quick before I read. Okay. Okay, John writes, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay. So, now this passage isn't necessarily straightforward, and so I'm actually going to kind of jump around to different verses. Uh, but I hope that through um, our digging through... I guess the metaphorical sediment of these verses, uh, we'll be able to find the, the pieces of gold that are there. Um, and there's nine of them. Uh, so we'll, we'll start with the first one. Uh, and that is, if we look at verse 29, 
that's, that we know that if we are children of God, we know of Jesus' righteousness. Uh, John writes, um, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So he doesn't say this as though it's a question of whether we know that he's righteous or not. Um, he's, stating, he's stating that with the understanding that we do know that. Um, he starts off this passage by saying, And now little children... Um, so he he's under the assumption, he's under the belief that he's writing to children of God. He's writing to his church. And this is just as applicable to us. Um, and so we know of Jesus' righteousness. Now, it's more than simply knowing that he's righteous. Because we we... That leads not only to a recognition of who Jesus is, but it also leads to a recognition of who we are. So, okay, what is righteousness? It means that Jesus is, he's right and good. His actions, every thought that he's had, every act that he's done, has been right and good in the eyes of God. It has been according to the Father's will. He is sinless and perfect. Jesus never did anything that was evil. Um, and that's incredible when we think of things in light of the commandment that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, because if we think about that for ourselves, to know that Jesus did that, we recognize how much we don't do that. Uh, I, I just think about how often uh, I let my, my thoughts be more inclined towards my own my own comforts, whether it's finding my security in the money that I have rather than Jesus or, or God, or uh, I'm, I'm finding my pleasure in some, like a book or a movie or something that's taking me outside of the realm of reality. Um, I'm finding my joy in that rather than the blessed truths that I know of the world and my relationship with God. Uh, or just not living in light of the fact that God, as our creator, deserves our obedience every moment of every day. I just don't want to obey him a lot of the time. And so we should, in knowing Jesus' righteousness, know how unrighteous we are. And so John, John says it himself in, uh, in 1 John 1.8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, I mean, that's putting it very simply. If, if we think that we're sinless, if we think that we're righteous, we're deceiving ourselves because we're not. And so a knowledge of Jesus' righteousness not only recognizes him as the perfect God-man that he is, but it recognizes how much we are not that as well. And that leads us to a very stark, frightening reality because... We know God's command is for us to be righteous. Um, his judgment calls for righteousness. But that's when knowledge of Jesus' righteousness and our unrighteousness also calls for our understanding of the fact that we are atoned for by Jesus. That he is the spotless lamb of sacrifice. That when... When we are dead in our unrighteousness, Jesus gave himself up as an offering for us so that his righteousness 
might atone for our unrighteousness. That we might be justified in Him. And that, uh, that, that we might be reconciled to God because our actions have set us apart from Him. We deserve His wrath. And so, as children of God, we know Jesus' righteousness and that also means that we recognize our unrighteousness and we rejoice in knowing that that doesn't condemn us, that we are condemned by our own actions, but we're ultimately saved because of Jesus. And so, a knowledge of Jesus means a knowledge of the gospel. If you're a child of God, you know the gospel and you live in light of it. Um, so notice that knowing this means we know that everyone does, that does righteousness is born of him. Um, that's what the verse 29 is referring to. Uh, we see it says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So we know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. Uh, but so we'll talk about what how we can do righteousness in a little bit. But he talks about how if we do righteousness, then we are born of Jesus. So we're going to start there. Um, so the second point is, if we're children of God, we know that we are born of Jesus. So if we know if we know that Jesus is righteous, we know. People practice righteousness, and we know those people are therefore evidenced as being born of Jesus. And that's what verse 29 is saying. Uh, so what does it mean to be born of Jesus? As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if any was, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are a new creation. We are entirely distinct from who we once were. We were an old self that was condemned, that was sinful, that um, was despising God. And now we are a new creation that is set free from the chains of sin and can pursue righteousness in Christ. We are born into union with him so that we might be free of the condemnation of our old, old selves. We are dead to our sin and alive to righteousness. Um, Romans 6 has a very good explanation of this. Uh, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So we are alive to righteousness. Um, we are dead to our sins. We are born of Jesus, and we can do good. And that leads us to that leads us to the next point, which is that we practice righteousness ourselves. Um, being a new creation, born of Jesus, means that we are dead to sin and its enslavement. Your motives change so that you want to live righteously. Um, we all become like the people we admire, um, even with our friends. We pick up mannerisms and idiosyncrasies. Like I can just, I think about all of the the phrases that I have uh, that my friends use, and I, I've picked them up just because they use it, and they're people that I love and oftentimes look up to. Yeah. And our the change that takes place of us in Christ 
is similar, but so much more. Um, our, our desire to walk in righteousness, our desire to live in obedience, grows in us, and we actually yearn for that when we once hated that. We once wanted to live for ourselves, um, but now we want to, we want to live for Jesus. Yeah. Now, I, I want to make it clear that righteous deeds does not simply mean deeds that are like good acts of philanthropy. Um, there, there are many people that do good things that are certainly not Christian, openly claim to not be Christian, that do not believe in Jesus Christ um, as the Son of God, and do not believe in God even. Um, so we would be mistaken to think that their deeds are acts of righteousness because what determines whether a deed is righteous is that it's done in honor of God. It's done to glorify Him. It's done out of a motivation to obey Him and to live for Him. Uh, again, let's be reminded of the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with our, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Any act that we do that is not done in light of that truth is not righteous. And so, uh, so we, we don't want to simply do, uh, do good things outwardly, but have a cold heart. Uh, we, we want to bear fruit with our lives. We want to, to display love out of an overflow of our love for Jesus. We want to be patient. We want to be self-controlled. We want to exhibit all of those things amidst even hardship and tribulation that we experience, um, whether in good times or bad. And uh, we, we need to know that that bearing fruit, that that display of righteousness in our life is ultimately the assurance that we are genuinely born of, of Jesus. Um, the assurance of our salvation should not lie in the fact that we said a prayer at some point in our life that, that, doesn't, that doesn't confirm your salvation. Your, your salvation is assured and confirmed by the evidence of good works and righteousness in your life. And we, we shouldn't think that a heart that isn't truly repentant throughout our lives is one that's saved. No. But we can rest in knowing that if we are children of God, that will happen. We can rest in that knowledge. And so as children of God, we act righteously as disciples of Jesus. So as an exhortation, let's strive to practice righteousness for the glory of God who has saved us even though we should not have been saved. Your conscience will lead you towards righteous living if you are a child of God. And that is because it has been made pure, as we are actually going to see in the next point. Um, if you look at me, look with me at verse uh, at chapter three, verse three. Uh, John writes, "And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure." So this goes hand in hand with practicing righteousness. Uh, as children of God, we know that we are pure. Our, our hearts have been purified, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be striving for purity as well. If you understand that Jesus is, is pure, you understand that you are now pure as well by, by his atonement for you and justification.
Jesus, Jesus himself said uh, that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We are impure beings. If, if we were merely what we act and see and do, if that's, what, if that's how God judged us, we would not be pure. We would not see God. We would not know him. But we have the purity of Jesus Christ. We've been purified by him. We have his righteousness. We have been justified so that we know that what guiltiness we, we, we have done, we deserve, has, he has paid that penalty for us. And we are now guilt-free before God. And so we pursue purity since we know that we have been made pure in Christ. Uh, think of it as living up to the identity and reputation you already have. Like, to God you are pure, but our lives don't reflect that purity yet. And so as children of God, we need to and we will strive to purify ourselves. We will strive to um, act according to the conviction that we experience from God's word, from his teachings. We will repent of our sins and confess them to brothers and sisters. Uh, And so, recognize that in doing this, uh, the world will oppose you, though. Um, As John points out, is is another point that's true of all of his children, um, which which is is the next point, uh, that we are not known by the world. Uh, If if you would look with me at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So John shows us that the world does not know us. We are different from the world. And it's because the world does not know him. Uh, John says earlier uh, in in chapter 2, he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world teaches us to take pride in ourselves. It's to have an awesome self-esteem. It's to um, strive to, to be the best person you can be so that you can basically revel in your self-glory. Um, that is not what God desires for us. That is not what being a child of God is going to lead you to be. You're going to be humble and selfless. You're going to want to love others and put them before yourself. You want to be a servant rather than to be served. Uh, This is not of the world. And so we need to recognize that we shouldn't be of the world and that we can rest in the comfort of Christian community, that we can be set apart as one body to strive against what the Lord, what the world is trying to teach us. Uh, and we can, we can know that life is going to be a constant struggle against the temptations of the world, but we are not going to be known by the world. We're going to be different from it. So as children of God, we can know that even though we will battle against those temptations, we can be free of them and set apart from them. We have been made holy. And so you might be rejected by the world, but 
even your own earth and even your own earthly family, uh, but you are loved by the Father, and that's the next amazing truth. Uh, John says it very clearly in verse one of chapter three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Like we are loved by Him just as a father loves his child. Uh, uh, notice that we are children. It's not that we are like children to Him. We. We are his children. He adores us. He loves us. Uh, he, he loves to answer our prayers. He loves to bless us. Um, Matthew writes, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Like, please, please be impacted by this. You, you have a true family. Uh, yesterday, when I was kind of... Uh, Dwelling on, on, on this fact, I, I spent some time online watching some videos of uh, military men and women who were returning home from deployment, and they were surprising their families with their arrivals, and it, it honestly brought me to tears to see how, uh, how glad the, the fathers and mothers were to see their children that were returning home, or how excited the children were to see their fathers or mothers when they got back. Uh, and But the reality is many of us don't have a family like that. A lot of us um, don't have a family that is um, marked by displays of selflessness and love for each other. Um, sometimes our family life is marred by fighting and bitterness and um, just apathy. Uh, but regardless, whether whether you have that amazing family life or you don't, it's like you have a better family than you could even possibly hope to imagine. Uh, and that family is headed up by God the Father, the creator of the universe, um, who could wipe everything out without even trying, loves you dearly and delights in you. Uh, like that that's just that's so amazing. Uh, and so with God as your father who delights in you, you should look forward to Christ's return as a joyful occasion. Um, and that's what we're going to see in this next truth. Um, going back to the very first verse, verse 28, um, as children of God, we know that we have confidence in Jesus's return. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink back shrink from him in shame at his coming. Now, this having confidence at someone's return it doesn't seem like a big deal unless we recognize how holy God is. Scripture, scripture says God is, he's not just holy. God is holy, holy, holy. Uh, and Jesus is God. Jesus is just as holy. Um, and we should recognize that Jesus will not tolerate unrighteousness and evil. To think that any of us as sinners can look forward to the day of judgment is ridiculous. That should be a day that we that we shake with fear at. But but we don't have to. We actually, as children of God, are called to be confident and joyful. For Jesus' return. The judgment that we are to look forward to is a day to be glad at, not a day.
to fear and tremble against. Um, Hebrews talks about uh, how we can confidently approach the throne of grace. Uh, that is unbelievable. By God's grace, through Jesus Christ, we can approach his throne. The God that is so set apart that we, could, we can never even begin to fathom who he is. Um, the God that is perfect and righteous in every way. Um, like we get to approach him and look forward to his return. We, we get to look forward to knowing God will be pleased with us even amidst all of our sin. You could not be the child of a holy God with the guilt of sin still upon you. Like, know that. You are free of it, and you should therefore look forward to being with him. And that's, that's amazing when like, I'm talking about the fact that we, that we, we don't have the guilt of sin, but we... We are sinners in this life. We still sin. Uh, and what's amazing, what's, it's so incredible, is that when we look at verse 2, we're going to see that as children of God, we are not who we will be um, because we are actually going to be like Jesus. Um, look at verse 2 with me. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. You guys, we are going to be glorified, sinless, flawless. We're going to be in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit that's alive in us. The the cloud, the veil that's before us that um, limits us from seeing him, like that will be gone. The times that we have to walk blindly by faith, we won't have to do that anymore. The times when uh, we, we recognize the temptation and we still, we recognize it time and again, but we still see ourselves falling into that temptation, we're not going to do that anymore. We are going to be made like Jesus. Now, that, that's not to say that we're going to be exactly like him. Um, Jesus is still God, um, and we are not. And so for that reason, he is more glorious than we shall be. But, but the reality of what we are going to be is so much greater than we could ever hope for in this life. And what, what shocked me when I first looked at this verse is what it says how that transformation is going to happen. It's going to happen by us seeing Jesus. We are going to be transformed into his likeness by simply seeing him. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this, and um, w- what actually came to my mind was uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I was thinking about how people often will experience a traumatic event and because of that, um, their life is changed from that point forward. They'll live, they can live in a constant anxiety or constant fear from whatever that was that happened. They are transformed by this evil thing that they've witnessed um, or has been done to them. You guys, this is the opposite. This is the opposite of PTSD. Um, and so much better and stronger. Like, we are going to see Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, and he's going to be so great that we can't help but be completely and utterly 
unalterably changed. And, like, that's the reality we face as the children of God. Like, that is going to happen for us one day. Like, if, if I had a calendar, I mean, I don't know when Jesus is going to return, but you could mark a date on the calendar when that's going to happen for all of us as his children. And so that simply leads to the next point, and that is that we are hopeful. Uh, verse 3 says this, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're hopeful as children of God because we know that we can look forward to his return um, and to be judged as, as pure and righteous. And then the change that's to take place in us. Um, we can look forward to Jesus' return knowing that we have assurance of our salvation and the, the change that's going to happen when that's actually fulfilled. John wrote this, again, like I said at the beginning, John wrote this passage to us knowing us as his children, as God's children. If you humble yourself to scriptures, if you are repentant, if you love others with the love of Christ, then John expects you to be hopeful. He expects you um, in that hopefulness to abide, knowing that that's coming. Christ was sufficient once and for all to save you, though you remain a sinner your whole life. All the work that needed to be done for your salvation was completed on the cross. Your abiding does not gain your salvation. It is the evidence of the grace and salvation that you have already been given. You are saved so that you might do good works, not because of them. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus. We know that if we abide as we are assuredly going to do if we have genuine faith and are children of God, then we can know we will be set free from our sin, our sadness, our anxiety, um, all of our weaknesses, um, everything that just leads us to despair and to be burdened. We are going to be free of that. Um, and, and so with ending with hopefulness, that's where John concludes in his explanation of being children of God. So, to, to recap, recap the nine truths, uh, if we are children of God, then we know of Jesus' righteousness. We know that we are born of Jesus. We practice righteousness ourselves. We are pure. We are not known by the world. We are loved by the Father as his children. We have confidence in Jesus' return. are not who we will be because we will be like him and we are hopeful. Now, so what do we do with all this knowledge? Well, for one, if we recognize that we are not the children of God, if we have not been moved by, by the cross, if we do not have faith in Jesus Christ, then we're called to repent. Uh, we're called to repent of our unrighteousness and believe that Jesus is righteous. Um, and that he's sufficient to atone for our sins. That he has came, he came to this earth to die as a substitute for us. And we can pray that his righteousness might be counted as our own, knowing with full confidence that if we have that faith, it will be counted as our own. Um, and knowing that through that act of repentance, we are at that point, the children of God. Um, 
And so, speaking to those that are the children of God, what do we do with the knowledge of these things? Going back to what John said at the very beginning, we're called to abide. We're called to... um, John's concern and exhortation through all of this is ultimately to strengthen us to abide. He's calling us, in calling us to abide, to purify ourselves, to practice righteousness, to rejoice in the love of the Father, to to live out all of these realities. Um, And he's reminding us that what strengthens us to abide is a knowledge of these realities. It's living in light of them and being motivated by them. Um, Do not use a lack of belief in them to be an excuse to not abide, Um, though, also. We must abide, practice righteousness, and purify ourselves regardless of how we feel at times uh, so that we might present ourselves confidently before, before Christ when he inevitably returns. And that's a struggle sometimes. I struggle with that all the time. Uh, but, but if we are his children, we will abide. And if we, the strength of the faith that we have um, the, the strength of it is not what saves us, but who our faith is in. And so resting in that, resting in the knowledge and having faith in Jesus that he died for us, even when we don't feel like walking with him or when we're struggling to, to be obedient to him, um, resting in that faith um, is what we need to, at the very least, do at all times, and what we can do as his children. Um, and so, I guess the last thing that I want to end with is just a, looking at what John actually says about abiding, because I've been saying we need to abide and all these things, and providing examples of practicing righteousness and purifying ourselves. But what does John ultimately say about abiding? And he says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. So that's what we're called to do, to abide. It takes effort, but John assures us that as God's children, we can do that. And it's worth... It, it's so worth it to persevere and make that effort to do that because all of those amazing things are true of us if we do. So with that, uh, I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I thank you so much that we can come to you in prayer as our Father that we are your children, that all of these realities are not an exaggeration of the truth of what our relationship is like with you. That that this is exactly what's real for each and every one of us that is your child. Um, Father, I, I ask you that we would be strengthened in living in light of them Um, father your spirit um, reminds us of these truths god Uh, your word reminds us of these truths so let's point us to them god soften our hearts so that we might walk in these realities joyfully and gladly and hopefully 
so that we might ultimately abide in you. So that the day when Jesus comes back, each and every one of us can stand before him confidently, changed forever to be to be sinless, to be glorified, to be um, in perfect communion with you. God, let us look forward to that day um, and, and use that eternal perspective as a motivation to abide. <clears throat> Father, we love you and we pray all this through the name of your Son who makes our adoption as your children possible. Amen.